0: Hey, welcome to basecraft So this is part two of my bass odyssey with Simon Francis. So um, yeah, definitely check out part one if you haven't. So we're jumping right here in part two, and we're talking about Simon's work in R&D with effects companies. And um, at the start here, he's talking about his work with Hampstead Effects. So hope you enjoy it, and uh, see you in a minute. But You've done like this kind of uh, R&D for certain pedals. like So how does that process work? And I assume you get a free pedal at the end of helping him with the whole thing like <laughs> i've yeah, asked a bunch do. of people this and it's rare <laughs> enough that the company gives like um had josh paul on this before and he's the guy in the ad for that new music man but yeah you think you'd assume you're going to get a free guitar after but sometimes they actually don't give you it oh a really ba- so he probably did i don't know yeah i hope he did some people i've <laughs> talked to have done stuff like um who was on uh this before um Guy living in Germany, and he was doing um, a Duesenberg bass, really nice one, and did a really cool ad for them. But you have to send it back after, so So you don't know. I I wonder how often you get to keep the stuff.
1: (laughs) I mean, like the the most involved experience I had was with Hamstead Amp Works on the on the Sub Odyssey Overdrive, Um, and like that was they they they'd already like made the guitar version just the odyssey and we um we like i was kind of brought in a friend of mine actually like they a guy called tim steer i'd done sessions with in the past and like we played in some bands together and um he was working with them and he called me and was like you know would you be up for coming and helping us just voice this for bass and it was i mean like that experience was i would not had anything quite like that before i've had I've had, like, companies send me stuff and be like, can you try this out and give us your thoughts and your opinion? Um, and, and like, I've had a bit of that stuff of getting in touch with companies and being like, would you make anything like this? And that's maybe spurred on stuff to be made. But with Hampstead, it was the first time I'd ever really sort of been in the room with the engineer and, like, Pete Hampstead, who designs all those amps. And, like, he's he like was like a like army radar technician or something and mm. like so you're sort of in their room and there's like this breadboard circuit and you're plugged in and he's like you know what do you think about that and it was just at the time it was just the guitar version and i was like yeah it's good and he's like right what happens if i change that so we played with all these like changing the eq points on the on like the Baxandall eq and playing with all the clipping di- diodes and you know that there ended up being loads of stuff about playing with things like input
0: impedance and that's great must wheel. be class seeing the process like you're, you're used yeah. to just you know having the pedals buying them playing them but seeing them being made like and he, oh he man it was like. just like and
1: it was like you'd say something and you'd you'd maybe describe a quality of sound that you were looking for and he just has that like dictionary in his head where he's like okay and like turns around <laughs> and like pulls some components out and then solders and you know and it's done within like 10 seconds and then you try that, and you're like, "Yeah, and yeah, I mean that experience was great, and i i I'm like littered with I have loads of prototypes of that, um, like I have a version that's like just like a modified version of the guitar one with sort of like flyboards attached to it, and then a couple of like the sort of pre release prototypes um and then not loads changed on that one, like there was a lot of back and forth, and then as that expanded, we sort of got more people involved and and so, like, we sent sent some out. Like, there's a friend of mine, uh, like, Dave Baker, who's a bass player in London. Um, and he does, like, a lot of pop gigs and uses a lot of effects. But he's, like, he's like not as... I have a real fascination for, like, really filthy sounds. And he's a bit more, like... Um, I'd say he's, like, more refined. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, that, like, there's a few people like that. I kind of have other friends who then have slightly more like go wilder with effects um and, and so like we, we sort of then on that point once we got to a point where it was good we pulled pulled together like a bunch of musicians so like we we sent one to like dev from idols to check out and then Tim LeFave and Juan um just to sort of get people that would use it in different, because the idea was it would be this sort of what Hampstead had designed on the guitar side and what they wanted to make on the bass side was a really um, almost like a like make your own drive kit in a pedal so it's a lot of it is around the way that there's this treble and bass sort of backs and all EQ that can be put before or after the drive Um, uh, and like I I mean I really want them to like it has like a clean blend I'd love to get a pedal that's two of them in parallel so you Mm -hmm. could like Cause I like again, it's like I, I don't I don't use clean
0: blends all that often. You just um, have no clean, just all distortion when you're playing. Yeah, I'm sort of like if it's driving, I'm all in. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, w- I wouldn't do that. I'd always have the blend like to retain. But I play yeah. in a three piece, so I need to hold, out, keep it going, keep up, keep, fill up the sound. I suppose. Yeah. If you're in a band with a keyboard player or some other extra guitar, still help fill out other parts of the sound. Like.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes you can. Yeah, there's ways of getting away with it but i'd like yeah so i i've kind of i've checked i think they are like they've said they'll maybe try and do it at some point i think it i think that would be like a custom build although actually like i now have neil at nrg i sort of a chat to him for ages about um like i had a boss ls2 and I, I and actually like the source audio aftershock their drive pedal like you can play around with having drives in parallel and i love that sort of sound of maybe with a big muff rather than having like a totally clean blend with it, having just a really lightly overdriven sound with it. So you're not, you know, you're not losing too much low end, but, and sometimes actually like, your the low end out of a big muff is massive. And so sometimes you can get a bit of articulation. And I think like the first thing I had built before that was um Tom at Cog Effect. I'd got him to build me these pedals called the, he built me two of them called the black sun and it was like his 66 overdrive and his tarkin like muff style fuzz and they're in parallel and there's like the muff is pretty standard and then with the drive there's like um like a high pass filter so like you could just have really bassy big muff sound and roll the tone down really low but then have this really sort of thin weedy distortion on stuff on top and like things like that sort of sound on bass i love and it, again like some of that's like being like sort of growing up and you know it was like i remember that like, going like like local to me it was like bands like sixth would be playing and then like eventually like gallows and like a lot of that sort of like hardcore and like heavy music and i loved all of that and like being sort of going through a phase of just unhealthily obsessing about like over thrice and like all those like driven like ratty bass tones and yeah. and just being like <laughs> convinced that it would work in pop music. <laughs> so it's like um and I I feel like it's like I I I just love that that sort of texture and sound on bass. And I love the sort of being able to blend blend them all together. But yeah, so with the with the with the subspace for um, Hampstead, it was like we worked on getting the clean blend and w- we had a load of thinking about whether that would be like a low blend, like something like the Damnation MBD. Um, and we just felt for that circuit, the way that we were running it, it worked better to just have a true parallel through that you could could blend in. And, and the way that that all works actually works really well. Um and it's really fun because you can do all that stuff of like you can have your EQ before the drive which is generally how I prefer to run it and like I I really like essentially just cutting all the bass and pushing the treble Mm. and so the overdrive is just this really quite harsh thing and then you still have like a tone control that's after after your clipping so you can still roll off the real harsh high end and then if you just like I'll just blend that in really really slightly with the bass and I'd have that on all the time but you can you can also then do stuff where if you like boost all of the eq and you have that set before the drive you sort of hit the drive so hard that it turns into this weird sort of sputtery
0: gated fuzz and your um, your knowledge is like amazing with the effects like <laughs> did you ever like, think of doing, doing a master class in bim like because like I, i'm known as the effects guy but talking to you i feel like a complete Luddite. <laughs> No, you know i did i did i'm trying to
1: think when it was in two. the end of 2019 i did a couple of things at bim like i went really, down yeah. and connected with some of the guys there um and did a co- I but and we were talking about doing a master class and then the pandemic happened so this like, is
0: bim B- B- dublin was it yeah bim yeah. dublin
1: um yeah like i did a couple of days of like i sat in on a couple of the um like a couple of their like recording and like writing classes and stuff and um, <laughs> all I did was like I played, I had some like recordings of some stuff I'd produced years ago but I also had like the demos of all the songs <laughs> and I like, think it was that thing of like playing people the demos and then playing like the finished production version of the song because I was like oh that seems like a really good way of maybe helping people engage with because like, on some of them it was like oh we'd re- there had been quite significant rearrangements that happened or like songs had been reharmonized and i was like oh this is quite a helpful way of being like mm-hmm. can you hear what's changed and i was sort of like do you think it's better and like typically you're like they're dealing with like a 19 year old he's like i think your production on that was shit like <laughs> you've made the song worse <laughs> really <Jesus laughs> and like Christ. i was like do you know what i think you're right <laughs> <laughs> and having that thing of being like but it and so i that was sort of like the context i'd done that in but yeah we talked about doing a master class and trying to work out i was sort of trying to work out what what I'd cover w- with that, um I mean, it's hard. Like the effect stuff is hard because it's like I'd, I I learned so much of it from. I guess it was like Juan and Justin, and then like Tim Lafave and John Davis, who like from the New York scene, and like Yannick. Dad, um, yeah. and then like in London, it was like when I was sort of starting out, there was a real scene of guys doing that as well. Like there's a guy, Chris Hargreaves. Who played for like alex claire and like he does a load of like he plays for this group like sub orchestra and he just gets these wild synth sounds and this guy john calvert who was playing his bass through the Korg thing and like my mate dave baker and there's like another bass player guy adam prendergast who now plays for harry styles but like when i knew him was doing like noise noise rock and, and so there was i felt like there was this real sort of movement Around me, you've like other bass players seeking weird sort of atmospheric affected sounds, um, and
0: I really I just stole from everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, how you learn. Like, like you know, your man is Steve Lawson, another uh, English Oh yeah, is yeah Steve DFX Lawson, well. totally.
1: Yeah, man, like, I mean, like, all of his looping and, like, his, like, textural, like, atmospheric, just, yeah, I remember seeing Steve play and then there are all these people on, like, on talk bass and bass chat and, like, you ended up with, like, Shep, who was, like, Panther Airsoft or whatever and, like, like, all of those guys that, like, existed on, there was this real community on, like, those bass forums of people trying out different gated fuzzes and different Mm. octaves and different envelopes and I just, you know just buried myself in that and just sort of consumed it all and plagiarized it all. And like, I'm really like I just happened to find myself in a platform and an environment with Ellie Goulding where it was like, like the context of me being hired for that gig Joe Clegg sort of knew that I'd been experimenting with a lot of those sounds. And I'd had some gigs that I'd done it in, but it was like, I think up until that point I was like, mostly like my biggest gig had been with this like folk sister duo called the Pierces and it was you know like real like I mean they were real like Fleetwood Mackey Mamas and Papas, yeah. folky meets like, kind of more traditional folk stuff and you know and they'd done like a record that had been produced by the bass player from Coldplay so it was all that sort of playing so I wasn't in that context I wasn't really other than like shoehorning Fuzz and distortion in wherever I could of course it was like <laughs> <laughs> kind of doing those i was doing those gigs with like yeah, a you need to be
0: given the space to yeah and as well like uh, effects sound different in your bedroom than live yeah so when you got the early goulding gig and um your buddy the drummer allowed you the space to experiment that's when you yeah, really I learned mean, like
1: yeah so like i'd yeah like it was like i was in bands and like jamming with people in london and was playing around with stuff there and like i was in a band with this guy at the time who was writing stuff that he sort of wanted to be like the meeting point of like Perfect Circle, Jeff Buckley and Goldie. So it was like prog metal, singer song, writery rock and drum and bass. And that was where I really sort of cut my teeth on getting getting real sort of electronic, electronic sounds. and. Um,
0: In a funny, yeah, funny I mean, way, like, like it almost like... Set you up to be an r- ideal candidate to be a session bass player. Like if you had gone to college, you would have been focusing on. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to go on a <laughs> rant because sometimes I do. You you would have been learning a lot of jazz stand, a lot of yeah. technical bass playing and standards and theory. But really, what made you employable as a session musician was your your ability to use Ableton, your ability to oh, use yeah. effects, and your ear training. The, you kind of fell into that but it was you got that training because of the career that that brought you on a career path didn't it like
1: yeah i mean it was all yeah I, it was also fortunate and then yeah so then the the big context with ellie i mean i like I'd, I'd met joe once backstage at a festival but we had mutual friends um and so when he sort of first spoke to me about that it was like he they'd had up until that point they'd had some bass guitar being played by the guitarist the keyboard player sometimes played synth bass and sometimes there was bass on track and he was like what he was really struggling as musical director and as the drummer on that was having bass come from like a consistent source whether that was like a synth bass sound or a bass guitar sound Um, and he was like getting that to feel good and and so he sort of was like i'm intrigued by the sounds you're getting with a bass guitar. And he was like, I feel like that, uh, like relationship between a bass player and a drummer, there's a certain groove that comes out of that. So he was like, I'd love to try and replicate that with more of the synth stuff. Um, And at that point, you know, like Ellie was really exploring more of those kind of synth sounds. And I guess it was like the height of like the whole like Skrillex dubstep thing. And she Mm. was really in, in that scene Um, so he was really keen and so he really kind of held that space for me to try that. And then the other chat we had around that time was they were looking at changing the way that they ran their, like the bits of playback and the way that the keyboard rig was handled on that gig. And I'd done, I'd done like one gig as a musical director and then had done some other things where I'd kind of looked after Ableton sessions and stuff like I'd been in bands where I'd I'd built that Um, and in in all of those it was much more on all of those projects it was actually less of a we were using it less as playback and more for like live looping um, or we'd have samples and with Ableton you can do stuff where you could like if you create a loop it extracts like the tempo from that and so that would then trigger these other elements so it was lots of that that I, I was doing more with it and more sort of like live live processing of audio um, and that sort of first tour I did with Ellie we were doing bits of that so her record like Halcyon there was a lot of vocal effects on that and so at the beginning we were like well we'll live loop the vocals and we'll do these like stutter effects and things and so we sort of Joe and I kind of worked together on building that in a way that made sense and then kind of as time went on really playback on Ellie became those vocal effects we just were like because it involved her standing still and pressing a button and mm. there's this sort of
0: Would you not have I, someone backstage like you know like the big guitar players their their text triggered their effects would she not have something like that like
1: we, I mean we talked about that and then we, and we did we did play around with automating it and like because you can obviously just set up Ableton to do it and I think in the end it was just like you know what it's easier to like just either have it on track or not and there's always that sort of balance of working out I actually listen to there's a really good podcast that Jamie Liddell does like hanging out with files and was it like last week he interviewed Alessandro Cortini and he talks about his time in Nine Inch Nails and how he chooses what he performs and he's like some of it's about mm-hmm. what's enjoyable and exciting and fun for him to perform and what the like audience will appreciate and I definitely think I remember there was a time where like we on the early gig, we were like, you know, that 90% of this gig is live. Like track is just like that swoosh there. And that like very particular, like vocal effects, but you'd come off the stage and everyone just assumed everything was on track. And like, and we realized that as musicians, we were all sort of, we were so involved in things that you end up, you almost end up having to be so stationary on stage Mm. that people sort of miss the performance element. And so there was that, we sort of had that, bit of renegotiating how much we do and and some of the solution that we came to on that was actually not, not we started to do less and it wasn't the, the things that we weren't doing we didn't just put them on track actually a lot of it was like actually some of this isn't yes it's needed in the recorded production but maybe some of this doesn't it doesn't need to happen live or um I guess like that point I'd said earlier about functions it was like actually functionally something else can provide the same energy that the track needs and so I think we had a bit of that with the vocal stuff but that that sort of got us on the on like more of the like for me it was like Joe really went deep then on like he has his like whole Ableton for drummers stuff and did that deep dive of like you know having it so that very like highly produced drum tracks can be performed live um yeah. with like that particularity of performance and electronic production and the way that the snare on you know any given beat the reverb might be modulated slightly differently, and so he has his ways of capturing that and being able to replicate that so it can still be performed um and then I sort of alongside that handled. More sort of the keyboard synth side of things and looking at ways of because we'd I'd used things like Logic Mainstage before, but there's like had real issues with like
0: syncing arpeggiators and stuff and mm. clock It must be scary though, time. like having all your stuff running off laptops at yeah. a gig. Like, would there ever be like a catastrophic failure, like at a big gig, in a big stadium, like or something?
1: I mean, on, on a gig that size, we were always running like a redundant backup, so there's always like a second if if your first computer for like so like on that like playback and drum samples are all coming from one computer and then the keyboard sounds are all coming from another and each of them have a backup so if one of them stops working in real time another one just takes over so i i don't even know how much that happened i mean we, we really sort of over engineered things and um like will sanderson who was our playback tech on that was you know his sort of attention to detail and his sort of desire to make sure that stuff was really robust was you know really helped and served us well because it's like i my around a lot of that stuff my head's been much more in like the software side of things than it has been on the on the hardware side of that stuff really um so having other people sort of look out for that and and optimizing Computers and systems to run well, and then for me, it's just a case of making sure that the softwares, like kind of CPU load, is manageable, and you Mm. know, and it's like that changes, you know. It's like being an IT technician or something, and that yeah, after oil, and it's and you're having to constantly work it out. You know, like at the minute, it's like Live Eleven came out at the beginning of the year, and you've got like m1 macbooks and stuff and it's all you know like at the minute it's (laughs) that scramble scramble of like working out how how everything handles Mm. that stuff and it's like it it ends up being like a lot of work in the front but what it means like with for me like the big thing with ableton live is it means that for any sort of keyboard if that's handling all your keyboard sounds over and above something like main stage is there's all the sort of sequencer elements that can happen that means you can have like the clocking of an arpeggiator can be perfect so before I'd worked on gigs and really like everyone had sort of issues with really having to get arpeggiators to stay in time and and so that stuff would just sort of be handed over to track but like especially on like a lot of modern day electronica stuff it's like you really sometimes that stuff's like that maybe like the key the key sound in a chorus um so it was like working on making that stuff live and like I mean like for me like I would then sometimes I do that. I mean like there's also times when like with like a live up up thing I would either just play the sixteenth notes with a with like a pick and palm muted through some effects to get a synthy sound and weirdly, um I guess like in the bass effects thing Ian Martin Allison's become such like a charismatic figure for sort yeah, he's of brilliant. Teach, he's, teaching he's people that's amazing stuff on and Instagram like, with all that stuff yeah i mean like he just has like i just (laughs) i have zero desire to be that person i I just don't have the uh i think i lack the constitution and the charisma to sort of do that i'm the same Um, i was thinking about
0: like i'm just me like on social media and i know ian is like that in real life you can tell that but oh if, yeah if you or me were to go on instagram and be like hey everyone and to be all <laughs> happy yeah. and char- he is charismatic in that way like if it's not genuine people see through it like so no. you need and someone think, like him
1: and i think he's been able to sort of he's been able to to communicate a lot of that stuff in a way that people can sort of connect but it was really funny like he i think i remember seeing the first time he put up the video about how he does the Sixteenth note arpeggiated thing with like a simple delay, and I the weird I was like I've been doing that as well, <laughs> and <laughs> it was just one of those idea. weird things where you're yeah. like oh these things have sort of it's all sort of been a like everyone's sort of been trying to solve the same. It's actually very and, funny
0: that you said that because I was watching um oh what's the bass player Chris Squares um, oh yeah because I'm doing a live stream next week looking at um old instructional DVDs. So I was watching a bunch of them before it, like, and I was watching Chris Squires and he's doing uh, pinch harmonics, and oh, he's like, I, he's like, I invented, you know, he didn't say I invented. He said I found this out, and I do it all the time on the bass. I don't know if anyone else in the world does it. It's like people just find, yeah. like, if it was these days, everyone would just be saying, oh, that's just pinch harmonics. But when he was learning, or when you were doing your thing, people just find these things. Like the different roads lead to the same thing, don't they?
1: Yeah, and I think it's that thing of, like... I think now you have a greater awareness of it. I definitely always had that sense of, of like... Um, and that's probably, for me, some of that reticence of, like... I think there have been times when people are like, oh, you should do a thing. And, and I've always just been like, but I... Everything that I... But I, it's that funny stuff, because I think I'd, I've had those moments where some of that gets challenged. Like, I think that day of doing that first interview with Juan and being like and it was sort of we did the first half of the interview and then he was like alright we need to take a break and then he was like right anyway for the second part you show me uh like an effects chain that is not not anything I've ever seen before and then he walks <laughs> he walks out of the room and I was like what can I show you that you've never seen there, there's nothing like I was like I've just I just ripped you off <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. everything I do is sort of like stolen from you and, and your friends or, like, these people on forums who I don't know beyond their screen name who were like, oh, I find this particular fuzz or this particular octave. You know, like, I, I just was like, I've taken all of that. And then I think I hadn't, I think in that moment then of, of, like, with the Density Hulk and um, and that was the thing of, like, chatting to the guy. Like, I then got to know the guys at Mantic and, and realising that actually there weren't. There weren't that many other people using something like the Meatbox or the Density Hulk in that in the parallel fashion that I was, and I just assumed that there was because it was on the Meat, you know, like the Meatbox had that built in. So I, I just assumed that was the way that it was used. And I think when I, you know, I bought one because I'd seen a picture of one's pedalboard, and mm. I was like, well, I'll get one of those. And and when I got it, I was like, oh, there's two outputs, and I was like, oh, I'll use the, oh yeah, I'll use that in parallel sort of thing. Um, and hadn't you know it was that sort of thing of then- then having that moment with someone and being like, well i'm and then realizing that actually the way that I had applied it was different to how someone else would and um, I think all of that stuff's really interesting, but yeah, I think i ultimately it's like it's that funny stuff I think now i've I feel like for years I was like trying to find and encourage younger bass players to embrace more effect stuff, especially on the session thing. And i you know, it's that thing of like not wanting to sound too old manish, but there's mo- there's times at the minute where I feel like <laughs> it's that thing where I'm like, I spent so long really wanting to get away from that thing of someone playing clean bass guitar while there's a synth bass on track and and the reality is those things never fully properly align and You end up with phase issues. And at some point, there has to be a decision made about which one of those things gets pushed in the mix. And, you know, I I remember seeing gigs of people just sort of essentially like playing, like live musicians essentially just soloing over a backing track that is surprisingly full. And, you know, like, and I, I just never had any... For me, I I, that I just have never had any desire to like that to be what music would look like for me. Um, And so like Ableton and effects sort of played into that same thing for me, where Ableton being able to control any parameter you want in a sequenced fashion that is time locked means that means that like that opened up the possibility of me being able to play a synth part with one hand and my other hand tapping out a bass line like that meant that i could have like an octave and a fuzz down and i could do these bass drops on a bass guitar or use a whammy on the bass guitar and so that's like one foot one hand is doing that and then right oh my other hand could play that that up line, or my other hand could play that sort of syncopated again like a lot of that sort of electronic influence pop music the bass lines where there's a bass guitar and a synth or maybe two synth parts that sort of bounce off each other mm. and it's like working out how to play that i was and like being able to you do that if, out. if there's like a filter that needs to open or close with that well ableton can do that i don't need a third hand to turn that knob mm, that's um, interesting yeah and that i think an effects thing that became all of that for me as well it was like well I can quickly change from a bass guitar sound to then this sound and then to that sound. And that means that I can... And for me, that it was all about trying to keep that stuff live. And, and for the longest time, I, I felt like it was hard to find... I felt like there were a lot of peers and a lot of people older than me that had been doing that. Um, and I think I sort of had that fortune of certainly at the time that I started doing it with Ellie, there weren't there weren't many other people on like a gig of that sort of scale that were doing the same thing. Like there are definitely loads of people out there that do it much better than I do. Um but I, I sort of was hoping like I think I hope that there'd be other people maybe paying attention to it and and then I've had times where I've needed to recommend people for gigs or haven't been able to do gigs and it's really hard to find other people that have done it. And, and I think it's lacked that. I think, I think sort of opposite that I've looked at the drum world and drummers have really been embracing having like sample pads and, and really kind of grappling with that need of replicating electronic drum sounds. And I feel like in some worlds of like, and again like it's that session sometimes becomes such a dirty word and i think we sort of assume that that means sort of like colorless or characterless playing and Mm. you know people just like i just need one good bass that i can do every gig with i think for me it's that chameleon thing that actually my my experience was that never really worked for me and like i i took my like five string sadowski active bass to a session once and i also had like a dan electro and the guy that I was working with, I'd normally take my Dan Electro and a P-Bass. And this session, I was like, well, I've got the Sadowski now. That's like my one bass for all occasions. And, and obviously for some people that really works. But for me, like I rocked up and the producer was just like, what are you doing? This isn't why I called you. And um, and like the next day, I like I sold the Sadowski and, and bought a Gibson Grabber so I could be like <laughs> my heroes. And um, it it was... But I think for me, that's been that thing of like um, trying to find a voice on it and, and trying to kind of, through that world, try and find a way of making that happen and wanting to, um, I think wanting other, like hoping that there'd be other people that would do that. And I feel like what it's needed is, is like a figure like Ian, who has, that passion and that energy for education and has that sort of like just like um overflowing enthusiasm and charisma it's
0: just demystifying it as well like i bought the what's it called the line six hx stomp oh yeah and it's the most challenging pedal i've ever bought like i got nowhere with it well it won't work with my laptop and that was annoying me then i got it working (laughs) with uh, an imac but like you need someone like Ian to explain this stuff because yeah. it's way more complicated than music theory or anything in my opinion anyway and I, it's it's a very steep learning curve
1: yeah I, I think his ability to communicate that stuff in simple ways is like definitely like I feel like I end up talking because I've ended up again it was like that thing of because the FM4 like that purple line 6 was for me early on was so instrumental in a lot of my synth sounds that I've always sort of been tied to the line six stuff so for ages that looked like the m series and it was like and there were a load of like event you know eventually i had that within like a clean loop switching system which meant that i was able to get away with sort of the tonal degradation that that can lead to a new clean tone so when like the helix stuff came out i was like oh great there's like that step up in quality of sound and um i sort of immediately built a board that was like I centered it around like the HX effects and you can use all the MIDI of that. Like I used that with some MIDI like switches so I could control a bunch of other stuff. And I had like the Moog um, filter pedal and source audio sadly don't make it anymore, but they used to make, there's this pedal called the reflex. It was like an expression pedal, mm-hmm. but it could send sure, it control solid. voltage out and you could have presets. And so I could essentially have presets of the Moog filter and just send, like, the MIDI stuff. But it... So, like, the the Helix thing for me has, like, now become a real, like, for the synth stuff and, and like, sound design stuff. Like, now there's things like the shuffling looper and stuff on it. And, like, it's sort of, like, you can perform with it like a modular synth now and you can do some really weird... weird, sound, And that, that's all the stuff that I get really into. And I'm like, but that that's useless to, like, someone I who's like, I'm see, trying I'd to work to, out see, how to use this.
0: I'd love to see you put that stuff up, though, because you only have a little bit of stuff about it and I was learning a bit like it really would be great to see you putting up more of this stuff about like the effects because it's like you said there's not many people doing it I, yeah. you can probably count on one hand the amount of people who've released um, presets Helix presets and stuff
1: yeah do you know what, it's something I've thought about doing and I, it's that thing of like yeah I just need to sort of like I've I've actually like had a couple of like interactions with Ian on On Instagram, and he's been like, "Man, you should do some stuff." And I'm like, "I just lack that <laughs> like, I just lack the. I'm too lazy, and I lack the motivation." I think, and I, I have that, you know, like I still, despite, despite being able to sort of make this work as a job, that imposter syndrome for me is still so mm. real that I think I, I still really struggle with that sense of like, um, will anyone, <laughs> will anyone care? They um, will,
0: but we all, and, everyone gets that. I get that, like. I suppose I'm a rock, rock bass player, really, but sometimes I put up some, you know, a bit more technical stuff, but I'm not that guy either. Like, so I'd be thinking, hope people don't expect me to be playing all this mad stuff <laughs> all the time. Like, I love all that
1: stuff like you do when, it, like, pretty much any time you put a video up with that epiphone, like the Rumble Cat, I'm like, yeah, oh, man, I, I know, like, I oh, know this is going to be sick.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't even know you were following my profile, so that's good to Oh, know. man, like,
1: I've, I think I've been following you. I don't know how I came across you, but I've definitely been following you for about... It was, do you know, it's probably like the algorithm was like, you'll like this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I X think light. the first thing I saw was you doing something with the Rumble Cat and it's like, I just love old hollow body basses anyway. So it was mm-hmm. like immediately I was like, oh man, like I'm so drawn, drawn to that. And then I think it was like, I think quite quickly you were doing stuff with that and an envelope filter. Yeah, and yeah. And I was like, oh, love I'm that so into like- this. So like... Um, yeah and i think that i think it's that thing of actually realizing that there's like an ecosystem that we're all involved in and actually like everyone's experience like we all have our different ways of doing it and i think again i think the danger is and the danger that i've had in the past of of trying to encourage other people to use effects is what i will do is explain my way of doing it and i don't think i'm always that good of really explaining maybe some of the reasons behind it or even like actually taking the time to think about the thing like it's all that stuff of like um things like the source audio c4 synth pedal that i use all the time now but i've like i was sort of chatting to someone just last night actually about using it and and i use mine like i have i sort of have a an, a feedback loop available in mine always. So like I patch output one back into input two. And so that, that's meant that now like I post less of my early on, I put a bunch of my sounds on the app. Cause it was like, I, when it first came out, I was like, Oh, there aren't any presets of all the sounds that I would use. Like I was like, oh, on pop gigs is like, I'm always doing like a Reese based sound. There's always like that classic, like Stevie Moog, like 24 karat magic, like synth sound um like those house housey bass sounds um like good sub stuff and and i was like oh, i'll do those presets and i put those out and like like amazingly like i think a lot of them have seen a lot of use and um i think it really i've had a few people sort of get in touch with me and be like, that's really helped me actually with the pedal like you just put them out for I, free like you don't get uh, no they're they're just out. on the yeah they're just on the they're just on the thing. I mean, like my my relationship with Source Audio has been really good because it was, again, when I started doing Ellie, like they had the hot hand out, like that ring. Well, yeah, um, that was didn't really take
0: off too much. I've never no, seen
1: but I, like I was using it. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think when, I was, like, when, Dub-
0: like, when dubstep went out of fashion, the need for a hot yeah. end kind of. I one. mean,
1: I think I was like the only pe- I think I was like one of the only people like using it on like a platform. So like, but it meant that like I developed a really good relationship with them really early on, and they were. They were super supportive um, and and like weirdly actually I used it less for like the filtering stuff and I started to use it more for like delay sends and stuff because it was like it felt really intuitive to be able to sort of like lift your hand and that sort of send a sound to a delay and it was more that sort of just, stuff. Just that to I explain to people for.
0: what it is because I, I think that piece of technology kind of passed most people by basically... You, expl- you you explain it since I've never even used one.
1: Yeah, it's like um it's a ring that has like accelerometer, like motion sensors in it, so like it it knows if you're moving up and down. A ring for by. your finger. That, yeah, that you a ring on your, your right finger. Bit. Yeah. I mean you could put it on anything and then you can move it and it turns that into like essentially that would then plug into any expression input on any pedal you have to control whatever that would control. Um, weirdly there's like a new company at the minute I keep seeing the adverts for that have made the same thing and they sort of keep talking about it as if it's brand new and I sort of <laughs> part of me wants to be like Source Audio did that 10 years ago um, <laughs> yeah, Well, you
0: find out stuff I found out something amazing there I was um, looking up some old uh, Japanese bases like a Tiasto. Did you ever heard of that brand? oh yeah uh, it turns out they invented the, you know, the three machine heads on one side and one on the other about oh, 10, really? le- 10 years before Music Man even though it's patented to Music Man that's so. wild so Maybe maybe they didn't know about it and then yeah. sometimes these things happen, like.
1: I mean I think and I think that sort of idea of being able to move your like I guess like you have things like Imogen Heaps made those gloves and things and it's like mm. I think that idea of wanting to be able to translate like spatial movements and gestures into into things that can control
0: stuff. It's kinda of the future with VR as well, like yeah. you thinking about being in a virtual band and that kind of technology could work for that couldn't it like
1: yeah I think it'd be re- I'm intrigued to see where that stuff goes but yeah so I was like an early adopter of that with Source Audio and I think like I used it quite a lot Um but that led to like a really good relationship with them so it is with like things like the the uh, they sent me a C4 pretty early on and it uh, they kind of were explicitly like you know we'd love some presets Um mm. and a lot of them were like ready a lot you know like a lot of them ended up kind of seeing use in Demos, and I think partly because there were only like a handful of sounds like on available at the time on the app. But I mean, the I mean that that ecosystem of the Source Audio stuff of being able to like download other patches is like I think that for for sort of bass players or really any like all guitarists as well, like anyone sort of wanting to get into making synth sounds, the Source Audio platform is a really great way of getting into there because you can like you can download other people's sounds and you can audition sounds and find ones that you like load them into the pedal and from there you can sort of you can reverse engineer you know you can see start to see how people have made their sounds and that's how I've sort of learned everything really Um, for me it's always been like reverse engineering other things that other people have have done and so I think like even actually that as like a learning tool is really good and um, that pedal I really enjoy um, and it's it's like yeah like I think that that sort of facility to be able to download the sounds and and see how people have made them and be able to immediately apply them I think that the, the one sort of learning curve there is knowing how to set up like the input gain and thresholds on that because a lot of those effects are so um, particular to the level and the nature of the sound that's going into them. But also like sometimes setting that stuff up wrong is like some of the fun thing, but like, I, I found like I was sort of like using the, the C4 and I loved it, but I always wanted a bit of drive after, after the filter and the way that the architecture is in that the drive always comes before the filter. And I, I didn't necessarily want to have to use a separate pedal for that. And I realized that because it has like two, Paths that can run in parallel. I was like, oh, well, I could just feed one back into the okay.
0: other. Yeah, because I would always have a drive before any filter. I think yeah. it just makes them sound better. But well, so like with that, then you can it, like
1: yeah. the one pedal can do drive before and after the filter. Okay. And like, I sp- and I suppose then in you your can... in your
0: mind, you think of it like patch cables, almost like even yeah. though it's a digital thing, you're imagining it's like you have a big cable and you're able to move it around to other parts yeah
1: like that's totally i think like it's i like i have the modular synth and like my first sort of experience with the synth was like the Korg ms20 so i think that idea of right at the start being able to patch things and um and like stuff like with the with like the moog model d like the way that people would often like feed the output back into like the mixer thing and create feedback loops is like how you got a load of those like really dirty like moog synth based sounds and that was my thinking with the C four thing. Actually, when I I first did it, I was less thinking about actually adding some drive internally. Initially I was like, Oh, I wonder if um I wonder if you can create feedback like you do on the Moog. And you can. And it sounds really cool. <laughs> so um experiment. It's, it's like and it but I was like chatting to someone about it like the other night and I was like, Oh, this is me." <laughs> this maybe is, I've maybe gone a bit too fast, but like, it's that sort of thing that to me, I'm like, like, I'll just be great when you start doing this. So, um, (laughs) I think I also could do with, it'd be helpful for me to sort of like sit down and work out more effective ways of communicating things. But then it's like the laziness of me is like when, when someone like Ian is already doing it and, and does it with a degree of sort of enthusiasm and charisma that he is. I'm like, I don't, I find it hard to see the merit in, in like, in doing that but may- maybe the better way of doing that would be to do be more sort of um, like I've, I've done a few things on Instagram in my stories of just like talking through some sounds like I did like I, know, I like I had a thing of playing around with making a granular sort of I saw that I, thought,
0: I found it really useful like I think I don't think you you would be um, repeating what Ian does like you yeah. like said you have your own out, outlook on it like you definitely should yeah. put up more stuff like explaining that thing, that kind of thing yeah, I need to just be less lazy. And, uh, <laughs> but it's complicated. It, uh, you you you've been doing it for years, but like for yeah. someone who doesn't own a FX pedal, it's like it's a big hill to climb. Like to get start understanding all that stuff. Like, I mean,
1: ironically of, now, Helix have a granular delay built into it. So, so that, <laughs> that like whole patch that I built, I was like, you don't need it anymore. There's just like a, there's a block. I think it's the glitch delay block. I was like, it just does it for you now. So I was like, well, I'm glad I spent. <laughs> i'm glad i spent that. like i mean like i only really spent sort of like 15 minutes doing that like mm. those videos that i do always really i sort of started doing them because I I'd, every now and then i'll have people be like oh you should do stuff and um i've had periods of like trying to sit down and and like compose a proper video for it and i'm like i end up just binning anything i do and i was like actually for me it's a lot easier just to do like an instagram
0: story thing mm. and then pin that to my wall um do you know what would be easier if you just um, turned on the screen recorder app on your ma- your Mac mm-hmm. and just did it on the computer That's and talking to the microphone, and then your video would be finished and edited in one go? Like,
1: yeah, I think I think that would probably be better. I also half wonder if like I wonder if I'd do better with something like I'm not on Twitch, but I wonder if something like that or like the I wonder if something that could be a bit more um like conversational where people could be like, oh, like pause me in like the process and be like what did you just do yeah um, you should
0: uh tweet i'm not on twitch either it's kind of complicated to get yeah. started with it like youtube live maybe something like that like yeah
1: i've i've wondered about that being maybe a better maybe being like a better medium within which to sort of do some of that so it'd be more like a masterclassy sort of thing where um i like i you know i i really struggle to just remain focused sometimes <laughs> it's like just that thing of like being like sticking on the one thing because it was like i'll i'll be like oh there's that fuzz here and you know next thing i know like i'm sort of like off the off that's down just the deep that's just a creative
0: <laughs> mindset you know we're all the same like i was <laughs> i mean i was fixing a base yesterday and then i decided oh i'm going to make a franken base and i'm i drawing like <laughs> different headstocks on on a different thing like yeah you know. oh,
1: amazing I love that though. Like it's but yeah, I think it's sometimes Yeah, it's trying to like retain that focus and trying to like present something in a digestible fashion for people. I mean it's like I'm like like yes yesterday, on Thursday, two days ago, like I I spent two hours of recording. I managed to like my modular synth system is not really set up to do drum sounds at all. And um I've recently sort of been like obsessing over like getting really back into like old like warp record stuff and early techno and listening to like kid a with radiohead again and and i was like i'm sure there's got to be a way of getting my system to do some drum sounds and finally on thursday i managed to like get a drum beat out of it and it it's it came about and it's really sort of like odd way but it was like i then spent two hours just like recording it (laughs) and and i was everything else i had meant to do that morning like all the like productive stuff i'd i'd like planned on doing and in my head i was like i'll just spend a bit of time once i've done it i'll switch it off and move on to the next thing and it was like immediately i was like i can't believe this is actually happening and sort of like i'd i've kind of my workflow with the modular synth now is is such that like i before i even turn it on i'm recording because I've had too many times when I've like got something to happen from it and then uh don't can't repeat it um and I I mean like I enjoy a lot of that like that's some, for me that's some of the effects thing as well I think early on where I'd have chosen like bass through effects pedals over playing synth I mean like cuz I'm a synth head and like, I love synths as well and but I I have more facility on the bass guitar mm. Um, and I think my relationship with time is different on bass than on a keyboard instrument to the better. Um, but I also love that effects don't always do what you think they're going to do. Like there's a, there's always this sort of energy. Like I always love that element of just not having, not being in control of it. I yeah. I think that's that thing this last year of realising I really miss performing. I really miss being in spaces and environments that I don't have total control of everything and like an effect system can be that cuz like whether it's that like a fuzz you know you have like germanium diodes that will behave differently depending on the temperature or the humidity mm. and like on the one hand that could be a problem but on the other hand yeah maybe gig that gig that night the fuzz the like attack or decay on the fuzz was slightly different that night and if that stuff's not like critical and doesn't hamper the performance for me that's the stuff that has enabled me to do like 200 gigs in a year and and it remain interesting because i'm always listening out i'm like oh well if i if i hit the bass a bit harder today and i think you know like there's that physical relationship with the bass guitar that you don't quite have with the synth apart you know like there's some synths now like some of the mpe things and like things like the old like CS80 with like polyphonic aftertouch that are really expressive to the way that you play but for the most part a synth you press a note and it does a thing and actually a lot of the time some of the battle with getting synth sounds out of a bass is having that degree of consistency but also the flip of that is what you can experiment with is all of those minutiae of performing and how that Particular combination of effects that you have. I mean, I think that's what I loved about the whole like pedal and effects, you know, mm. YouTube series was. I felt like they really sort of captured some of that. Yeah, you uh, react to it as well. Like it makes yeah. you play.
0: Like I have a the Digitech Synth which t- is a terrible pedal for tracking, <laughs> but that is what I like about it because it yeah. makes you do all this weird glitchy stuff. But like, I can't use it like in a normal sense because it can't track. Like if you play fast yeah. or do anything like. Yeah, I
1: think it's like once you find that stuff and you exploit it, like I think there's that stuff of like what I'd never really seen anyone do before, like that trick that um, Ian Allison will do where he hits like a tritone or he'll hit like two harmonics and on like a fuzz or an octave and it creates that beating effect. Mm. And I was like, I'd have always done that with the tremolo. And I was like, oh, but you can do that with a played thing. And, you know, like it's that thing of like, I remember like the first time I saw Tim LaFave doing like the sort of cycling an oc2 on and off while he was playing yeah it's it's like
0: break it he was saying i've broken a lot of of pedals doing this
1: it's mad but it's like that thing where it totally changes the way you and i think that's the thing that sometimes affects pedals invite that sort of uh you know like we've all and everyone's had that time when it's like my first delay pedal and you max the feedback and Mm. you have like an analog delay and it starts self-oscillating and I think there's something about um I it's funny I wonder if it's changing now with effects pedals becoming more expensive but there was definitely a time with like an old boss pedal they were cheap and easily found and you sort of abused them like they inv- they invited sort of a lack of respect mm. whereas like sometimes when you were like presented with a synth there's this sort of um elevation of the instrument that certainly for me at times there's that fear of breaking it or doing something wrong which i don't have for like an old boss or mxr pedal. No. um and night to my shame even for some of the more like boutiquey stuff i own but i think if i owned like i think if i was like gigging with like some of the chase Bliss pedals or you know some of the stuff that you're looking at like three to 500 pounds of money being spent on i wouldn't I wouldn't have that same sense of like, I'll bend down and hit it or like do this or see what that <laughs> yeah, happens. Yeah. Cause or you like, might be like, doing that latching effect. Yeah, like,
0: like I don't want to break the foot switch on this. No, if I break head. it, I'm
1: going to have to get a loan. <laughs> we <while I laughs> walk the house or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think, I think that's also, I guess, part of it. I think where the effects thing can be really fun is it invites that sort of, and I think that's some of the important thing is like, um, and I guess like coming back to that listening to the podcast with Alessandro Cortini the other week I felt like he put into words something that I've never really been able to express myself but like the idea of the performance being fun or enjoyable and I I think increasingly now I'm like yeah I think that's at a time there was maybe like a youthful pride or arrogance in, in wanting to play everything live to the point that probably the performance suffered and the audience appreciation or real comprehension of what was happening actually was lost. So the effort was sort of other than being able to like pat myself on the back or scratch my ego and be like, Oh, we made that happen. Mm. It really, where is actually what can be enjoyable for me? What is an enriching thing? I think that, that has become more my focus now. Um, and I think probably always was to some extent, like I think that that my response to someone being like, why did you bring a five string jazz bass? That I was like, well, I'll sell that. And I'd always wanted a Gibson grabber and didn't buy one because I didn't think it was an appropriate instrument for an mm. aspiring session musician to have. And obviously there must've been something in me that my immediate response to that was like, great, I'm just going to embrace the thing. And that's sort of been what I've done. And that all like, it's not that like it's not that I enforce my thing on the work that I do like I you know you always have to be respectful and cohesive with the project and the world that you enter into on any given gig but it's my hope is that I have a character or personality that would come come through on it and I think I think I think that's a desirable thing and I think for me when I was younger I wish I'd spent a bit more time on that earlier of just really like but then maybe I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't gone through like the whole thing of like learning crazy like two handed tapping techniques that <laughs> I just can't I can't even do them anymore it's like no you I'll, forget like, them and, like when they're and not and do-
0: <laughs> You could, you could try buddy. I actually did a, a live stream last, last on Sunday and uh, uh, Scott Whitley messaged me he said hey Steve are you free and he said yeah so it was like an experiment it was me and three other bass live on YouTube amazing and we had to play something we can play from our youth and practice it with a metronome speeding up for an hour and then wow. play it live on youtube after the hour <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it was
1: horrible oh man that sounds like a roast yeah i don't know it how was, I he didn't
0: roast me but it was, it was good it was to show the, the the listeners or the the watchers if you will um how practicing with a metronome slowly and increasing the tempo you can get get better at doing something you couldn't do yeah. before like you know
1: yeah that's definitely a well, you yeah, i don't you're, like,
0: you're not really in the shed i'd say much your your time in the shed is pl- playing music being creative that's for you in the shed yeah i days. think
1: my time in the shed so quickly turns into that i've been i've been a bit better over the last sort of year or two of of practicing some like studies and doing some metronome stuff again like and really recently i've really got back to that because it's just not playing live as much like i definitely have felt in the studio aware of my time drifting a bit so mm. i've i've sort of been kind of refocusing on that again and it's been really helpful like it some like thankfully there's that degree of muscle
0: memory that's still there what right? kind of exercises just playing whole notes and then stretching yeah like stretching yeah i'd have done
1: like i had lessons with a teacher in london when i was like a teenager who did session stuff and he he then sort of introduced me to rehearsal with a metronome that you'd begin with like a metronome on eighth notes and essentially keep dividing it until you're down to one every bar one every two bar one every four bars um and essentially go as low as you can and try and always hit that downbeat so i do a bit of that and i'll do bits of like maybe there's that like i do i'll do stuff like there's that video of um carol k making the metronome swing yeah so there's times when i'll do that and just practice playing around the metronome and making it imply certain rhythmic divisions um i don't really know how to explain it but you can do that thing where you can make it swing or you can make it you can sort of make it feel like it shuffles and so just trying to get into that place of like having some intentionality around that and and there's other things you can do like shift where you hear the click happening so whether it is on the one or whether you maybe hear it on the two and the four and um, things like that all sort of quite helpful things and like changing your relationship with practicing with a metronome and so like I think that now it's like if I do any practice it's all
0: at the minute it's always with a metronome Mm, Um, it's funny because a lot of uh, people coming up or who want to get really good at bass they never do stuff like that they're doing all fast scales but I saw Michael League does that exact mm -hmm. kind of thing as well like you know it's really the fundamentals like you're working on like
1: yeah, I think I'm not... Yeah, I, I would say without... I think for me, it's always like... I've, I I wouldn't have practised in the past because I saw it as just... Do, I thought of it as just doing scales or practising things and that they didn't have any... That didn't seem like it had any relevance in my mind. Like, it was all about context. And metronome at least gives you context. Um, mm. And I think similarly for me, it's like I wouldn't practise harmonic ideas on bass without things i guess like guys like yannick would do that stuff with like an electro harmonics freeze pedal or whatever where you create some sort of tone that you can play around and um like the last year there's i feel like there's been a real like explosion of people wanting like fretless bass performances on records
0: and stuff so Mm. i've been doing a lot more of that how was your fretless bass playing had you done it wasn't It wasn't great a year ago <laughs> <laughs> detonation really goes, doesn't it like yeah, I, I, mean, I have one, and I've only used it once for every album, so very yeah. rarely i like i I
1: had that like this weird thing where I felt like probably like like five out of ten calls I was getting were like fret involved fretless in some way, and um, as like an artist in Belfast, I've been doing a lot of recording work and probably like seven out of ten tracks on that have at least fretless on and and then i i you know that sort of got to a point where i was using fretless a lot as sort of extra layers or in like productions then increasingly using it for like ambient tracks and um stuff but yeah at the beginning my intonation on that was was wasn't great and the like the gift of remote sessions is you can fix all the tuning before you send
0: it to someone <laughs> so like, like do, someone doesn't like, necessarily guy, need to know Simon's better than Pino Palladino on the fretless. <laughs>
1: yeah like, this guy's amazing and I'm like little do you know um yeah. but I I found a lot of playing over drones or having having like a single thing and I would have done that in the past for like learning sort of like harmony and interval stuff and learning the way that um each value of a scale relates with the tonic um and with fretless it's sort of that you then always have something to compare your intonation against mm. and it's those ways of like finding a way of it feeling enjoyable and for me that might be like creating a loop or that might be coming in here and setting up a synth just droning and just playing along to that so i've tried i've tried to do more of that partly cuz like this guy up here I will have to do some... Like, I will have to play some of that stuff live at some point. So, <laughs> I, I've had that <laughs> you real You won't have audio like, the <laughs> Yeah, and it's, like, the bass that I that I was recording was, like, an unlined, fretless Gibson Ripper. So, it's, like, it's a 34-and-a-half-inch scale, so it's a weird scale length, and there's no lines. Mm. And I was like, man, I playing this is going to be a roast. Um, so, I, man, I have actually managed to get hold of, like, a lined fretless bass. But it's um it's a short scale hollow body lined fretless bass so it's like <laughs> I'm not making it easy for myself but no. um but actually like already already kind of having a lined thing like weirdly I think I'm I've always I've always been that annoying bass player that uses like four or five basses on a gig if I can get away with it because mm. I love the way that they all sound and that has meant like again like the grabber is like 34 and a half inch scale. And then I'd generally had like a Yamaha BB, which is like 34 inch. And I'd always have had a short scale, which would have either have been like... 30 uh, inch usually, isn't there? Yeah, which would have been like a Fender Mustang or a CEREC Midwestern, which would be like the big thing I use now. And I've always been sort of... I've never really had any issues changing, changing between them. Like the scale lengths has never been and I I can't explain why because I know other people that really throws them off for like Mm. changing neck profiles I'm not I feel like there's times when I feel like I'm blind to neck profiles like other players will be like oh it's a C shape or it's a and I'm like it just feels like a neck
0: I think the 24
1: fret is I found more
0: weird than the scale length you know if you're playing an extended range bass feels more strange than any of the other ones with different scale lengths like yeah
1: I mean, again, I think it's that thing, because I think I always was swapping between, like, weirdly, like, I fenders are the things that I would have probably played and still now sort of play the least. Um, and the way that, you know, like a Thunderbird or a Grabber or something sits, I've, I think I've just got very used to that. So I think, th- thankfully, despite the fact that my two fretless spaces are sort of a bit weird, it seems to be the two are sort of working quite well so like i feel like my intonation's got a lot better but i there's still a lot of work but i think there's also that thing where sometimes it's really hard when you're in it where you're the person performing you'll be really aware of your time being out or you'll be really aware of your intonation being out and if you can like again i think maybe for people rehearse like rehearsing or practicing recording things can be really helpful because sometimes when you listen to something back it can go one of two ways. Sometimes it sounds shitter than you thought, but actually sometimes it sounds, sometimes that intonation that you thought was awful actually isn't as bad as you thought, mm. or sometimes that timing that you thought wasn't great
0: actually is, is good. Or being um, out of tune is part of playing the fretless anyway. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. To get I sound. mean, that, that's
1: the thing as well. Actually, like that's sort of the idea of pitch as a dynamic, as, like a, as a dynamic element, because on a fretted bass, you're so used to like pitch being fixed and that that definitely is also some of it as well but um yeah
0: you have a seric behind you that's jake seric yeah. is it american dude yes. makes them yeah uh, I have this guy I, I only heard of them because of Ian allison and oh yeah awesome like
1: i got this this arrived like day one of my rehearsals with kylie and it was like this and the yamaha were my main bases for that um i yeah. didn't have
0: it was just like the b90 yeah, yeah. you modded it
1: um, yeah, which was, <laughs> I got a guy. I'd say he i he was
0: loving uh, you for that. He's like, this is my, pro- my baby. And then you're you know, like, the I,
1: <laughs> I messaged Jake before I did it. I, I, I sent him a message that look, I'm thinking I was like, someone I know is selling like an old vintage gold foil base pickup. And I was like, I think it'd be amazing. in the ceric at the neck position. And I was like, I just want to make sure you're cool with me doing that. And he like, Jake was like, yeah, definitely do it. That's a great idea. Um, <laughs> and yeah I, I, that bass I'll like that, I'll take that bass to the grave with me you got that direct
0: like, from him like he's only like one guy running the company Yeah, so you, like, you have to email him and all uh, yeah that like crack.
1: I think there's like four or five of them maybe working there now I think at the time that I got it there were only a handful of people um, yeah and he I was he was over for like the London based Guitar Show and I saw him then and the, the bass was in transit to me at that time so we kind of got to hang out and shared a bunch we shared like a bunch of like psych rock playlists and um, <laughs> all the good stuff and then yeah and then like my bass arrived like the day after he left and awesome. um yeah and like straight straight to work and um i love it it just i i've not i don't have another instrument that has the same it's a it just is really dynamically
0: responsive has mojo um, like it has serious mojo doesn't awesome. yeah
1: it just feels yeah, like it's been a bass for a really long time, the moment you get it. So um Well oh, mine mine certainly does. Um, yeah, like I, I couldn't I couldn't love it anymore. Like it just and it's been way more versatile than I ever thought it would be. And mm. I've I've had lots of other short scales, but that one just yeah, I mean like it, it was the first bass that I ever managed to use for like a whole Ellie Golden gig without changing. Like normally that gig I would have at least had a long scale and a short scale to cover and like a long scale with rounds and flats on the short and then the, the other revelation with Cerec was that it came with the Jim Dunlop flatwounds that mm. while they're not as stumpy as like a Labella, they can get a more old school tone but with the tone knob up there something a bit more modern and I've found with that bass they work really well and I can kind of cover all sorts of um, sounds with it so it's been really good
0: yeah class man sure uh i I think we've covered everything that was yeah (laughs) that was an epic one um yeah sorry it was
1: quite long isn't it yeah it Um, it was good
0: because we got we we were kind of trying to find a date that suited us both for a long time so i think it was definitely good that we waited to find a a morning that we had we weren't in a rush to go anywhere like yeah
1: no it's been good
0: where should people check you out is um is Instagram your main spot to hang out?
1: Yeah. Instagram is, I'm not, I'm pretty terrible, but Instagram is probably the main spot. Yeah. Just Cy Francis. um, S I F R A N C I S. Yeah. I'm on there. And yeah, if you have any questions about anything, I'm always like, I'm more than happy to geek out about anything. Cool. Uh, Yeah. So like if, yeah jump on i try to like post things i mean look at the minute most of my most of my like it's like summer holidays so i'm looking after the kids a lot and then um and then yeah working on a bunch of sort of production projects that will be starting to see the light of day soon i mean so that'll be that'll be fun so like there's a lot if you like like watching videos of weird synth sounds and me getting excited because i've got a modular synth to sound like a drum when it shouldn't um yeah check me out and like harass me to put up more effect stuff because it definitely i
0: want to see more because i i i'm selling my um line six thing if i can't figure it out how to use it properly so
1: oh well i'll be like i'll try and endeavor to do more yeah uh, do more on that then yeah
0: like i i
1: i love mine and it's like i it kind of was like one of those things that i thought would be more utilitarian and then as someone that loves making weird noises they keep just releasing more and more stuff that can get super weird.
0: Yeah. The aftermarket service is phenomenal in fairness. Yeah. Like it's not as if yeah. they just made this pedal I'm, and forgot about it. Like,
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like three times the pedal it was when I bought it and I, I didn't even get onto it that early. Like I feel like I was relatively late to the game, but, um, yeah, and it can't, like, because, you know, it can be a MIDI controller for everything as well, that if you're, if you're that minded that you want a really sort of integrated effect system and an easy way of controlling things, and it's, like, what I love about it is you can do, and it maybe is the thing that probably would be worth showcasing, is you can do, like, momentary stuff. So, like, um, it means, like, something like the Tim Lefebvre vc 2 thing, you don't have to be going up like that you can just every press down have is on in the moment
0: mode or something is that what it's called yeah so like you
1: half the number of times you hit it because it can be momentary on and off and I think things like that for me it's become actually like a really fun creative tool and you can have like momentary stuff to like max out delays or do all sorts of it's it's I found it a much more a much more expressive instrument than I thought a multi-effects would be mm.
0: um, it's great that you're a like you're a family man, but you have the time to like kind of dwell in your creative juices a bit. Like that's really important, I think, isn't it? Like it's not as if you need that time, don't you, to really explore this stuff?
1: Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I. I really. Obviously, uh,
0: your time is probably very limited, like with two kids. <laughs> but I mean,
1: it's like it's you know it's we again we're really lucky like we have family here like my. My sort of in-laws are are amazing and we we have so much support from them that, you know, has facilitated me being able to tour and and do all of that. And, you know, um, my wife works a busy job as well. So it's like, it's kind of like, again, again, it's been like a fun, like this last year, I've sort of been, it's been amazing being able to be around a bit more and like both have more of that family time, but also like have a bit more time for that, like creative. Yeah, I think for me being able to put being able to have this space and able to kind of sort of have that opportunity of like create some chaos and just um that's sort of my favorite that's my favorite place to be and then
0: so yeah, you like a teenager again in your bedroom yeah. you know, all your toys. it's like and you know
1: it's that thing because i feel like i've i had those conversations with people they're like you know would you do more musical direction and like the reality is i just don't want the responsibility like and even a bit sometimes with like taking on production projects and stuff it it's fun but actually for me a lot of that's actually is working out in kind of co-production stuff and there's a guy here Matt Weir in Belfast and he and I've have ended up working on like the majority of stuff I'm working on is with him and like you know selfishly partly that's because it, it means I can he can be a bit more responsible about about looking after things and like my my like great joy is just being able to be like sort of sound boxy and um and like i have like hours and hours of sort of like found sounds i've got and like um i like i mean i was playing with like a marble run that my kid has and it's wooden and um i probably i recorded like half an hour of it
0: and (laughs) i've already Sampling his tires.
1: Yeah, well I've started to sample it and I'm like putting it through the modular synth um to sort of kind of reimagining it. It like
0: Yeah, you could definitely that... do something cool with that like... Yeah, but it's like that sort of
1: stuff. I'm aware... So like it's like any for me, it's like that freedom of being able to to do that and find ways of applying it. And I don't I don't have any like um I don't have like an artistic drive in the sense of wanting to be an artist like I think um I really enjoy facilitating other things for other people and um I don't I don't have any great need to have like a solo project or anything so it's like for me it's like being able to explore that stuff and maybe find a way of presenting that in a way that could be like stimulating or inspiring to someone else or like help elevate someone else's creative goal, and I feel like both as like a performer and then in the studio that's been like my big, that's the thing I love doing is like much more than like I'll make noises and sounds and beats and whatever in the studio but I, I don't like, I don't get as much joy out of that as like that moment when you play something weird to someone and then they have a song idea come off of it and um, and I'm trying to be disciplined and try to play less On the things that I produce and try to let go of that control because it's like I I just love getting to hear other people do things and interpret something in a different way that I wouldn't anticipate or like that I think chaos for me is like what is like the source of creativity for me like limited chaos (laughs) and then trying to like wrangle it into something that makes some sense
0: so really you know i i can see you doing a bit of production getting into that more like producing bands and stuff like you yeah. know, have the right yeah. um, uh, mindset for it i think yeah i'd
1: love i'd love to i think it's like yeah we'll see hopefully there's some stuff coming out so hopefully it'll be good <laughs> and people will be happy with it i think i like i like the right. stuff
0: sure, and you'll get some more work in that line. <laughs>
1: um but yeah like it's that thing where there's there's always that bit of being like again it's that imposter syndrome as well of like you sort of have to choose you almost have to call yourself something and then embody it and and do it and there's always that sense of like am i just blagging blagging it But
0: um, sure that's like we're, we're blagging we blag our way through everything like i we know were. well like, that's it I wish, <laughs> I, I wish i was in belfast because uh there's this uh, nice place that does a 24-hour breakfast near the empire Music Hall. i, oh, don't, is know, I don't know what it's called but all that's every time we, we play there and we get there before it's closed Amazing breakfast.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Well, next time you're next time you're up this way, give me a shout and um, we should. Well, yeah,
0: I might pop to your studio. We could film some. uh, Oh man, like definitely. I bring I bring my camera and do all the crack. Yeah, man,
1: you'd be welcome anytime. That would be that would be great. Um, Yeah. Well, let's make that. Let's try and make that happen because I'm around loads at the minute. So. Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I'd really enjoy that. Any excuse to make noise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't take a plan but I'll not take up any more of your time we're like we're pushing like three hours of your day so um... don't worry about it this is great I love the long ones <laughs> well I'm gonna sign off now so oh, I'll just yeah. turn off the record